0: Hello everyone, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Roxborough Roundtables. My name is Elena, and I'm the student coordinator for the tables. Today our roundtable is sponsored by Sierra. Our discussion is hosted by David Tuck, a Holocaust survivor and speaker for the Witness to History Project. Hi everyone, so my name is Sierra Reddy and I'm a sophomore in the Law and Society Program here at Thomas Jefferson University and today I have the honor of introducing our two speakers. Um, first, we're going to have Sheldon Lehman, who is from the Holocaust Awareness Museum and Human Education Center right here in Philadelphia. Um, and that is where Mr. David Tuck is a resident uh, survivor uh, speaker. So he speaks not only around our area regionally, but does Skype sessions to other countries, educating them about his experiences, and has also written a book. Anyone, a book was written about him, <laughs> if anyone would like to look at it.
1: Um, so, I'm going to hand it over. Good, Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you for inviting us. And I uh, just want to say I'm going to do an uh, uh, introduction, uh, showing me slides. Uh, and after the slide presentation, there will be plenty of time for questions and answers. Okay. And, uh, as I mentioned, I'm a volunteer with the Holocaust Awareness Museum and Education Center in Northeast Philly. And my job basically is to-
2: facilitate. Yes, I'm
1: uh, trying to it. <laughs> <laughs> my ba- Basically is to uh, drive the survivors and help facilitate. So uh, we're gonna start with the uh, slide program uh, August 15, 1935, the Nazi rally proclaiming that the Jewish question was far from settled. <clears throat> March 1938, Vienna, Austria, a boy writes Jew on a storefront window after the Anschluss. The Anschluss was when Germany uh, took over Austria and uh, uh, united in one country. Polish Jews round up for deportation. Note that the uh, Jewish people had to wear uh, Star of David uh, insignias on their clothing. Top, 1940, the footbridge in the Loge ghetto bottom, a sign near the footbridge, Jewish residential district, entrance forbidden. Uh, under the bridge, the uh, that roadway, if, uh, that was the dividing line between uh, the ghetto and the city. If you were found in that road beneath the bridge, uh, he would be shot. A Jewish doctor's visit in the ghetto. Jewish doctors had very little to treat any uh, (coughs) ill patient. Poem from the Terezin ghetto. Until after a long time, I'd be well again then i'd like to live and go back home again uh, terezin ghetto also known as the uh, was lo- located in czechoslovakia uh, it had um, many children as part of the ghetto and uh, the germans at one point invited the red cross to come in and investigate the ghetto, we made it like a, moda, a, a model ghetto to see how wonderful they were treating the people. But as soon as the Red Cross left, they went back to being not a very nice place to live. Einsatzgruppen victims stripping their clothes off. Uh, the Einsatzgruppen were were German murder squads that followed the Russian army after Germany invaded Russia. September, 1942, old and sick Jews from the Lodz ghetto selected for deportation to Kelno extermination camp. I forgot to mention a very important thing uh, that Dave Tuck was in the Loge And basically, his story starts when he was 10 years old. So think of what you were doing when you were 10 years old, when he starts talking. April, May, 1943, <coughs> the Jewish resistors rounded up after the Warsaw ghetto uprising the little boy in front uh, survived the war cattle cars Uh, cattle cars were used to uh, transport uh, their uh, Jewish ghetto Residents to uh, various camps. And they were packed in like cattle. No room to move. <laughs> Captured Jewish resistance fighters. Auschwitz Front Gate. My block free. Work will set you free. The only way you could get out of the concentration camp is to die. Auschwitz selections. To the left was gas chambers and to the right was slave labor. This is the number tattoo that they received at Auschwitz. Auschwitz was the only camp that uh, tattooed its uh, uh, residents. Auschwitz. Jewish women and children awaiting instructions at the train platform. Barracks conditions at Buchenwald. If you look closely at the picture, there are some uh, metal plates in the, set, in the center part. Uh, that was their pillow, besides uh, a plate to put some food in. July 1944, Medinet Crematory upon liberation. January, 1945, children show their tattoos to Soviet liberators at Auschwitz. They did uh, experiments on twins, twin children, and uh, they would do the experiment, and they had a built-in control by having uh, twins. They would inject something into one twin, uh, or inject something into one twin, or do some kind of procedure on one twin, but they wouldn't do it to the other twin. So then they were able to compare what would happen. In Slave laborers at granite mine in Matthausen, Austria. Dave was also at Matthausen. Entrances to the Burt Crystal, the underground Messerschmitt jet plane factory at Gusen II. This is a liberation photo. Dave was also at this place. April 1945, General Dwight D. Eisenhower, General Omar Bradley, Lieutenant General George S. Patton surveyed dead prisoners. Uh, General Dwight D. Eisenhower eventually became President in Eisenhower and he was the uh, commander of all the armies in uh, Europe and uh, he's the one in the uh, cloth hat, third from the left, and uh, he invited as many photographers and reporters to this camp, take pictures, write stories, because he claimed uh, at that time that people in the future would deny that the Holocaust ever happened. So we know that he was correct at that time. April 1945 ss women are forced to throw the dead and emaciated into communal graves communal grave may 1945 emaciated and six survivors from left wobelin and right evansy Nuremberg <clears throat> Trials, November 20, 1945, to October 1, 1946. 24 leaders of the Nazi military, political, and economic sectors accused of war, war crimes. And now, Mr. Tuck will
2: tell you this story. me oh, me missed it. Now I have to behave myself. <laughs> I will take this with
1: me. Okay. Can
2: you take
1: it out. Yeah. Take it. Okay. First, it's not on. It's on. It's not an, it's a recording mic. You don't have to speak right into it. It's not an
2: amplifying mic. Okay, don't can you hear me? Uh, yeah, yeah, you I don't, don't have to don't speak do. so loudly. It's not gonna help people hear you. What I'm gonna tell you today, I don't believe it myself. I'm just to you today. Picture yourself you wake up in the morning on September 1st, school day. Happened to me. I was born in Poland. This doesn't do nothing, right? No, it's, it's just, a, just a recording We can hear you though. We can hear you. I wake up in the morning and said to listen to the Polish language and Polish music, I listened to one thing, Deutschland Liberalis, Germany of the whole world. The population of Poland was 34 million. 10% of the population were Jewish, 3,400,000. 3,200,000 didn't make it back, and they wanted to the lucky one. First, in our town, we lived too close to the German border. Now, with have only had 18 Jewish families. Hitler took it over to Creek They call it the lightning. And then they gave us to wear, first, a yellow armband on the left arm. Then they gave us a Star of David, one at the front and one at the back. If you walked in the street, you walk on the sidewalk, you didn't step down when that assessment was coming, you know, the SS, the guys, the black and black white uniforms, you can do it. We lived there. We all spoke German. One day, almost a year went by, there's an order. A friend of us came in and told us, they're going to give you 48 hours. Get together as much as you can you're gonna go to a ghetto. The day came for a thousand buggy. From all the town, we had hundred and sixty-four people, adults and children. We wind up in the ghetto. You met me before you saw the ghetto roads with the bridge across. I wasn't this ghetto. I got to the ghetto and then they gave us a house. then they start filling up people. And then they closed up the ghetto. They told the people, the elders over there, you have to organize your own government. Anything has to be done, you have to do it. And then was an order. They were always ordered, even the ghetto, the orders. All. Who speak german come over and sign up so my father and i went there and the guy looked at me and he said that there were no jewish people over there how, how old are you i said december i'm going to be 10 years old and he said 15. now can anybody tell me why he said 15? so you can work? That's right. But 15 you can work, but 10 you have no right to live. So what they did, and they also told me, from now on you're going to be a mechanic. What I did in the office, they were given out cards. Anytime some street ran out, they send me over there. And almost a year went by. We had food wasn't coming too much. It's getting people, people start fighting with each other for survival. And then there's another day. All men and boys come up. You're going to go to work. You're going to work for three months. They promised that they're going to pay us. After three months, you're going to come back home. It was a lie. My father and I, we signed up. We went back to the city, Posen, in a stadium, they put us. If you ever look up, they have a bigger ride up at this stadium, remember Posen Stadium, you will learn what was going on. I didn't even have to stay hours to tell you what was going on there. We wind up there and now we have to wait in line. Nine hundred and eleven were there. I when at night I was 176. First number. Now I'm going to tell you something that you wouldn't believe it. How can somebody survive? Every morning, four o'clock, we used to wake up. We had to wash ourselves. There was no showers. Then they gave us a slice of bread, a coffee in the morning, slice of bread in the evening. In a certain daytime, you were lucky that you get something. With this, ladies and gentlemen, I lived for four years. There were times, the first time what I did, I got a slice of bread, I was hungry. I ate it. I was hungry. The next slice of bread that I got in the morning, in the evening, I took a bite, put it behind my shirt, and I ate it. But I felt hungry and at another bite. But this I lived for a long time. And then they put us, you remember we supposed to be mechanic. we got to build the Autobahn. Anybody know what Autobahn means? Turnpike. I was supposed to be a mechanic. The factory is <clears throat> not ready yet. And then they start building the, the turnpike. They got me another guy. I remember my father was there too. I don't know where they put him another block. I, it. I saw him once. Gave me another guy next to me. We were taking dirt. Across the road, the other side, there were English so, but, uh, prisoners already working there too. I found out after the war, there were 25 labor camps. I never knew what those other guys were working there. We had to, you know, those wagons and rollers. We used to fill them up. And then a couple months later, I can see a guy, the foreman got himself a trailer. I had the guts to go over there and ask him if I can do anything. He said, What can you do for me? I said, I'll make you bed in the morning, polish your boots, clean up the place, and bring your food from the kitchen. For me, the most important thing is get some food to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I went to the kitchen and I asked him, He said, Nothing for you. They must have all this. I don't know. I don't know. They were prisoners too. When I brought him breakfast, I was sitting there waiting. He ate, left some pieces left over, He threw it in the trash can. What do you think I did? I walked over to the trash can, picked up the plate, picked up all the pieces that were there. And I ate it. And he was laughing. I said to myself, you may laugh. Meantime I have an extra piece of bread. <laughs> this was going on for months. And then there were roll calls. Almost every day, every couple of days, there were roll calls. If they saw somebody sick, he couldn't work or produce anything, they killed him. And then one day, there's a roll call, and the commander, that's okay, she's comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and one day, the commander asked, anybody speak German? Guess what? 911 guys read hand. We have a language, it's really German, but they call it Yiddish. It's German, but we, you know, mix up a little bit the word. But he said, where are you going? Begeistu. In Yiddish, he said, Begeistu. Same thing. He was laughing. And I, maybe I was eight, 10 feet away, and I, I raised my hand, and I said "Commander," in German. I speak German. He said, good, what's your number? When I said "What's well, my number, I got scared. I thought you were going to take and kill me. He said, we're going to call you. A Couple of weeks went by, they called my number, and they said, get 10 boys to get it. You're going to collect trash. When they find out that I'm going to collect trash, Everybody wanted, and they told us only boys are one, no adults. God came. Now, this camp, they were Volksdeutsch. Volksdeutsch, they were Polish citizens, but German descended. They were watching us. No guns, nothing. We were fenced in everything. This was the stadium. We were collecting trash. Now, the Polish people in the beginning did that. Asian cats, too, but they, you know. We were looking at the test, and nothing happened. Then they find out that we from the camp So they started giving us food, mostly bread. The guard <coughs> told us, o'clock, I'm leaving you here in this corner street, 4 o'clock, I'm going to pick you up. They said to the guard, we have no watches. He said, ask somebody. I said, you told us not to talk to them. He said, talk to them like we after a while the police people find out. But the guards "With everybody's loaded with food. He said, if you bring this food, they're gonna kill you. First of all, who's gonna kill us? Either the guys who were still in prison, they will want for us to, or the or the, guys, the guards, the are gonna kill us. A month went by. One day, four o'clock, three guys, three guys are missing. We waited. The guy said, "Let's walk back." He used to walk. We went back. You didn't know what happened. I thought we'd get on the way. Came home. They're building a gala for three. The next day, the stadium was full of people. They brought those three guys in. And anytime time I talk about it, I can still see it now. They put them on chairs. Put the noose around their neck. And the guy turns them up to the public and tells them they committed a crime and for this they're going to pay. Call somebody to pull the chair. In the haunt those three guys. I can still see it now. For what? They were not asking for a piece of bread. The most educated people in Europe, the Germans, how can one person twist the mind for so many people? Because he promised them the whole world. Months went by, even I was picking some extra food, I still were losing weight. I've been skinny and skinnier. A year went by. And then they're closing up. Second year, they're closing up. Was, they can't propose. Now they put us on a passenger train. the <coughs> <Now>, white passenger? <coughs> we the mechanics. They have a factory. They built a factory next to Auschwitz, in special, a special camp. We wind up in Auschwitz. You saw a picture before: the women and children on one side, the men on the other side. I was there. I would maybe I wasn't there at the same time they took the picture, but they were there. This was, if I heard of broken up mm-hmm. First, I went into the through the gates, the train came in, went up to They Left us off the camp, the train. I see people, women and children one side. I didn't even know Auschwitz exists because we had no connection with the world. They put us on trucks. Five minutes later, I was in front of those gates. I got in there, and we was the trade was almost 900 people that made me morning. the guy is sitting there assessment he looks at me and suddenly he said are you against okay, that i said nine no he got up he said you're jewish you're unit you miss i knew I said, yeah, been a Jewish, but I'm, I'm Jewish, but I'm not against Hitler. He said, get out of here. Come like, on, it didn't come. Now I've opened the door. I see people in blue and white stripes. If you saw ever blue and white stripes they're wearing, only Auschwitz had those blue and white stripes. Only Auschwitz were giving tattoos on their arms, no other one. Each camp gave numbers. I look around, people from all over, from every country in Europe, there were people in this, every nationality, people were there. First they gave me a haircut, they just cut in the middle of stripes. Then they gave me a tattoo. I see people wearing tattoos all over the bodies. It doesn't hurt. It's right. I remember they had the, like a, something with a needle in it with punching holes. This way they make the, the, and all the bubbles were out there. I saw bubbles, I wiped them off, and guess what? The number was paired. They did it all over again. I got the number, 141631. One, one. I still had the number in my arm. Everything was the same. we living everything the same. The only thing we worked now inside, no more outside work. And the first time I saw, from every nationality, from every country, they were there, people. And then it happened. An engineer came over. It's the first time I saw an outsider. They said, What's the number? I gave the number from Auschwitz already. He said, You're a machine mechanic. Maybe together to figure, whether they had something—a machine. You could figure with a machine. I can learn it. I, he said, "All the machines are taken." I said, oh, "They're going to kill them. They don't need it. He took me over to a table, and I'll never forget—I was building over there, 99, 98, the 99, 98, 8 millimeter big guns, anti-aircraft, anti-tank. He said, "There's a block over there for the steel. This was the bridge it's supposed to be for the gun, you know." I'm filing. I'm skinny bone already. I'm filing. <clears throat> and if anybody's gonna see it, I didn't do nothing yet. They're gonna kill me. I saw somebody sitting in that office under the glass. He said the control room, so all the parts to, to the gun was in this room. A guy is sitting by himself. I had the guts to go over there, knock at the door. He called me in. Next, talked to him in German. If I could, I'm a mechanic. I didn't tell him I'm working there. Could I work, help you out here? He said, Good, you speak our language. Then he said, You know something? You're lucky. If the guy will see you walking by yourself here, he will kill you. Well, I had luck. Went there. I worked with him. He was so nice. He risked himself. Every breakfast and lunch, he had a sandwich for me, mostly bread. He wrapped that piece of paper was wrapped from home, he brought it. He threw the trash can. What happened? When he threw the trash can, he threw it, he walked to the other side, looked the opposite way. I know it is over there already. I walked over, picked it up, put it behind my shirt, and and I ate it. Twice a day. And months went by. One day, I would never, I don't know why I did it. I put it a piece of bread in a drawer. Ten minutes, somebody hit me in the back. I wind up on the floor. I'm skiddable already. I said to myself, You better get up, because if he has to step on me, it will break every bone in my body. I got up, and he said, What is this? I said, It's bread. But this bread was white, my book brown. I said, I got it from a Czechoslovakian. He didn't believe it. He, know- he saw it what was going on. I figured to myself, if I squeal on him, he, I'm going to be dead. And he's going to be who knows what's going to happen to this guy's guy. He didn't say nothing. Six o'clock, we left, Affected, walked in at the camp. They call on my number. They call on my number, put me behind electric wires. I waited there, no food, no nothing. To nine o'clock, nine o'clock closing up the camp everybody's walked because shop. Wake up in the morning four o'clock again same thing I waited in line i watched myself wait in line he said you have to go to the front nothing for you there's an order i went to the front and put me behind electric wires again everybody went to work eight o'clock i never forget a guy walks over with a machine gun, an assessment, a guard. It the gate over there, takes me outside the camp. We start walking behind the barracks. I thought he'd better kill me now. He took me into the commander's office. I never forget the guy is sitting over there looking some paperwork. And me again, I said, Commander, I have to go back to work. They need those guns. For the country. They a problem this for the come. He started laughing. I thought he was going to take a gun, he killed me. He figured, hey, that Jewish guy said he has to work for the country. And he said to us boys, I'll never forget, next time if I see you here, I hang you upside down. Get out. At that time when I went out, I said to myself, David, don't give up. I was walking in like a skeleton. And years went by. After four years, the American landed in Europe already. They were approaching Auschwitz. They're closing up Auschwitz. Now they put us in a They put three guns on the same train. What happened? They figured if they go, American or the Russian are going to bomb, they're going to kill us. What the Russians and Americans did, they didn't with those guns, they bumped the railroad tracks. So if we traveled 20 kilometers, the railroad stops, no railroad, we had to go back. Normal would take us four or five hours to go to a city in Austria, Gusen. You ever heard there was a camp, Mathausen? Mother God for and camp. We were pounding as many people as we could. There was no food, there was no toilet, nothing. People were dying in those five days. It was unbelievable. The smell, the odor, just we would choke ourselves. We made it. We got this that forsaken camp. We have no place for you. First, they gave us, we had to wash ourselves. Then they gave me a pair of pants. Look up the stripes. They gave me some pants in a belt in the little red cock that was I was using. Stripped naked. This is wintertime. It's in the mountains. it's cold to freezing. I thought we we're gonna die outside. People walked around, they robbed each other's back, everybody wanted to be in the middle. And then they said, let's go in. They put us on the floor, woke up in the morning, they gave us different clothing, we had the wash ourselves, and then they gave us some food, put us on trucks, and we go to another camp. They had, they had four side camp. They called it Goozle. Remember, you saw a picture here before in the mountain, two entrances? Mm-hmm. I worked, I worked at this this factory. Now I'm going to build planes, the Stukas. Walking, we used to days where they, we didn't get any food because the Americans rush was bought the railroads. When I left at work, 6 o'clock, go back, walk back to the camp. I picked up leaves, picked up grass, put some water in the little cup, and I ate it, just to fill up. And on May the 5th, 1945, there's a roll call. Machine guns all over There were more dead people in the barracks because they didn't care about the bodies and what they left them over in the barracks still counted the machine guns all over. I thought they're going to kill us now. They told us the Americans going to come down the mountain. tanks, tanks going to be free. Go back to the barracks. Everybody walks up in the barracks and get killed. They took off. No time. I was glad they can still walk and talk. I hear rumbling. The tanks are here. The Americans came, people screaming and hollering. There were people came in 1944 from Yugoslavia, from Romania, from all those countries. They came late. There were <coughs> the most we had. I was working, the working schedule. And the Americans said to us, we're going to give you food, plenty of food. Don't overeat. If you're going to overeat, you're going to die. I got the box, i never forget it. I looked in his bread, white bread. I took some jam, I took anything I could, of. I take a piece and I said to myself, be careful, if you overeat, you're gonna die. And if I don't eat, I'm gonna die. I will take a chance, I'm gonna eat. And I, little by little, I bite, I've waited. Another bit, another way i piled in as many as I could, marmalade, jams, anything. And then they told us, the camp is going to be closed for three days. We have to check with any diseases. They were right. But they opened an office. After three days, they opened it. And they said to us, if you want it, you can stay here. It's going to be a liberated tent. If you want to go back to Germany, all the camps now for survivors. If you wanted to, Go to Italy. I said oh, myself, I'm going to Italy. I went to the guy to the office and I told him, he said, You're from Poland? I said, Yes. There's a quota. I didn't know that that was a quota meant. He said the quota could take years. Or if you have somebody gonna sponsor you, you can go they will sponsor you. I mean they give you a guarantee a job, not to come here and do nothing. I said I'm going to Italy. At that time, I was 15 years old, and I weighed 78 pounds. I went to Italy. There were doctors there, there were people there from April already, because a lot of it in liberated. Now, every May the 5th, I celebrate my birthday. I got my strength back. And after nine months, everybody said, the girls, and the boys said, let's go to Paris Rent. We can travel now. We went up, I went to France. I got there and I asked if anybody, any Jewish organization, they said, yeah, there's an the office over there. I went there and I told him the story. He said, Do you know, have any families? I said, I don't know. He said, Pick four last name." Jewish popular last name. Guess what? I picked four of them. But they said, if you want to stay in for you have to go to work. I don't know if, you know, Paris, if everyone, private, there's a, a section there. All the Jewish people get together. They, they call it the place. They put me in a place that was serving sandwiches. But A sandwich would be it. That's all. I worked there. And one day he calls me up he said, David, after I think almost two years, he said, a lady wants to talk to you. I met the lady that would talk for a while. Then she came up with a story. She told me, I'm a second cousin from your father's side. I met her, and then after talking, she said, why don't you come with me, have a decent lunch. I went with her, then she made a phone call. Maybe 10 minutes later, a young girl walks in. And she introduces my sister-in-law. She was in a camp, too. And then she introduces me, we start talking. And then I said to her, her name is Marie. I said, Marie, I signed up to go to America. I said, when are you going to go to America? I said, every 20 years going to be another war here. And when I was a kid, I heard you <clears throat> talking America. America, I remember. But now I have to wait. Then I, I had a lot of guts. I started asking to go out. We started dating. And then came a time I got a, a letter. My papers are ready. They're in Germany. I have to go to Germany right now. Go in a camp to wait for the American to approve it. I said, Marie, I have papers. Said, Why don't you come with me? She said, I have the family here. I said, family, family, but there's going to be a war. I said, you lost your father. You lost three brothers. Why don't you come with me? Yeah, let's get out. Then she said, I'm, I'm going. I said, now we have to get married, because if not, you have to wait another five years. For it. Mm-hmm. So I had to go to Germany. We got married in Germany. Then we went to the camp. Waiter, wait. was wait, five, six months before I got the boat. We came to America. I don't speak the language. I spoke four languages. I don't speak English. I think to most I think now. I do pretty good. But at that time, they told me when I came to America, we have an accent. I said I never had an accent. Now I came to America, I have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> If somebody asks me now what accent I have, guess what I'm telling you? I'm Pennsylvania Dodge. But I had to go to work. Two years later I opened myself a French interior decorated, anointed three meantime. Went to work. I didn't sit around doing nothing. I had no schooling, had only three days. I think I'm doing pretty good. I still have a problem with spelling. Does anybody <laughs> of you have spelling problems? <laughs> it happened to me once. You know, I'm, I'm always on the internet. Somebody calls me up. He said, we have a professor that I want to speak to you, a symposium. I met all the professors after we were finished. I said, how am I doing? He said, you have an accent. So I told him, yeah. <laughs> Then I asked him, tell me, why do you have to put the A after the E? He said, simple. It's silence. When he said silence, and don't put it in. <laughs> then we had to do it. Where does the G come in there? Right? <laughs> Again, I know, it's silent. But I still have a problem with <laughs> <about a> <laughs> And then I worked. I have a family. I have one daughter, three grandchildren, and nine great grandchildren. We get along fine. I don't bother them, and they don't bother me.
1: <laughs> They're
2: all married, all have children. One thing I don't understand our grandson picked, has four boys. Each boy's first name starts with a C. I said, Aaron. I look in the Bible, I don't see anybody with a C. Grandpa those the hockey players and football players and basketball players. Yep, yeah, well, I'm gonna tell him something. No, I don't tell him. I'll the to talk teacher to call, we have birthdays, everything, but I do the I do the best I can. And that's my job now. After I close my business. After a while, after 54 years, my wife and I went out to the Jewish Family and Children's Service organization in Trenton, and the last time she sang, God bless America. We came home, walked in, she said, David, I don't feel good, put it down on a chair, called the ambulance, and three days later, she died on it. We were married for 54 years. We had disagreements. You know what? I always told her she's right. <laughs> yeah, why talk You know something? I will never forget, never forgive what they did to me. But I I don't live with hate. If you live with hate, you have no life. Because you sit there, if I have to look at my number and the it, what life am I going to have? I'm going to live with hate? I know people, kids, brothers, sisters, husband and wife, are Haitian. Think about hating. If I hate them, I live with it again, right? What I went through, like that am now, what life would I have? I was just interviewed. I mean, you look me up, just David Tuck on the internet, any place, you're going to see my alone. I was interviewed now. But a newspaper, and guess what? I was talking about the people came to Mexico, remember with the kids, put them in camp, and somebody made a comment. It's a concentration camp. And that's, I got mad. A guy saw me on the internet. He called me up from Washington. You ever heard of a newspaper, Daily Caller? It's a Republican Catholic, anybody doesn't like it. <laughs> I don't care, Republican, Democrat. I'm, I'm American. I don't care about the power, politics. Guess what? 15 million people need it. Every day I got another call. It's more. It's more and more. So it's enough of me talking. I'm happy I'm still around. I wake up every morning we we'll have to come and I'm booked already till June. June, I don't feeling if you heard, in Reading, but the second, all the pilots from the Second World War get together there at the airport. It's the 28th year. I'm going over there. It's the 50th year. Already. Over 30,000 people there. I'm not talking to 30,000, but I have my schedule. If somebody skips and didn't make it, I do it, too. I haven't met that family there. You know, they write need to me let tell me stories. I just put that letter. It's a mother with three daughters and a boy from some place in the Middle West. But I'm meet to me, too. what they're doing, what I am going to do. I know it's a good life, everything. But keep comfortable. I don't live with hate. So, now it's up to you. Ask a question, don't be bashful. I'm not going to grade you, don't worry. They're not going <laughs> to grade you. Uh-huh. So. I have a question. Um, love. With so
3: many people who didn't make it. Yeah. How is it that you made it? What, in your personality? was it I call or- it predestined. I had a rough life growing up. I was you the
2: situation. Any questions, please? Don't be bashful. They're okay. not
0: gonna do it, so don't worry about
2: it. Go ahead.
0: Have you ever Speak no.
2: up loudly this way they could get have you ever gone back to no. that? No.
3: There's
2: plenty to see in America. Good. With
3: the what are your best ones? This is uh, they they take a while to warm up. Uh, <laughs> with the recent American political climate, do you see anything that troubles you or reminds you?
2: Yeah. They don't know how good they have. They don't know what you're losing, freedom. So they just tell you right to attack the ha- synagogue, to kill. Them. Why? The guy is sick. No, something did it because they get instigated. It. Some people do it. They just live by it. That's all. Because I think they're going to march over there in Philadelphia. not think you do. Yeah. yeah. I always ask. The Jews are gone. Who's going to be next? There's always going to be somebody next. Look, they're fighting in other countries. They're killing your own people, right? you your mouth and They're killing We don't know how good we have it here. They're fighting each other like Democrats, Republicans. What's the big deal? It's America. It's a free country. You don't like it? Don't vote for him. That's all. Yes. Did you uh, form
3: any friendships while you are in the, the concentration camps with
2: any other friends? No. If they could take from me the piece of bread, they would do it. It's survival. Mm-hmm. Every, uh, it was at night, many times, many, many, many times. I said, God, please let me see the light the next day, the light the next day. I always want to live. Any other questions? You. You, well, I, I have a lot
3: of questions. Can you, can you talk a little bit more
0: about forgiveness? Because I think, um, you know, from our point of view, it might be a little shocking that that you that you don't hold on to it. Can you talk more about that?
2: Oh, forgive forgiveness. Forgiveness. I can not forgive. Somebody said to me, I was involved in a university and one of the professors a religious person. She said, God, God forgives. I said, this time God's gonna forgive me. Because I said, I never forget, never forget. Why should I forgive it? But I don't sit there and dwell on it. If you sit there and dwell on it, you have no life. You have no joyful life.
3: Why do you think it was so easy? For many of the people, the guards or the people who lived near the concentration camps, why was it so easy for them to have no value
2: for They're your okay. life? When well, we were traveling with the passenger train, right, mm-hmm. they were showing like this. You yeah, people were left to us, they couldn't show it like this. They knew. Some people said they didn't know. They smelled the odor there, it was terrible. You know, you, you were burning flesh. <clears throat> and guess what? The, later on, the bodies, ashes, they used it for the feelings. Yeah. Uh, when you came to France, were
3: they actually your family, or?
2: After the war? Yeah. You said it was your
3: second. You mentioned
2: year. something of the family. I'm going to show you something. Go ahead. <clears throat> wait, wait. Just continue. Yeah,
1: there's more slides. There should be more slides. That's the end.
0: Go on the
1: USB. Okay. All files are that your USB? What?
3: It's actually frozen. That's why. Yeah. froze up. It's um, one of our finest computers. Uh, <laughs> like, like, it only freezes at the most important time. It so, <laughs> doesn't work? It's not working.
2: I'm sorry. What I wanted to show you now. Six weeks after my birth, my mother passed away. Oh, I didn't know either six months or six weeks, but now we're the technology. I find I was six weeks. Some people ask me, what is your missing boy I said, I never knew my mother. I was brought up with my grandparents. I, my grandfather, they were religious people. He made sure that I was, I think, four years already, five, it took me every day in the morning to the temple to pray. Then I went to the public school. Then I went to the religious school. He told me right away at the beginning, I want you to be educated. And that's when I learned something. I had no brothers, no sisters. It was hard for me to play around with the kids because I had no brothers and sisters who wanted to bother me. But I forced myself, I did it. I was eight years old. My mother had four brothers. Each brother took me on vacation time. I was eight years old, my uncle said, David, somebody wants to see you today, wants to talk to you. And guess who it was? A man walked in and he said, David, I'm your father. I never knew what happened. They never wanted to talk what happened because it happened so that one daughter, that's what I want to show the slide. I found the slides, pictures here in America. It's not like in the old days they didn't make pictures so much, they didn't do it. Here, they said here, your grandparents made them to us because they were friends of my mother. That's what I had pictures, not that we never had
3: pictures. Uh, one last question, I guess no one else has a question. Did you, any of your immediate family survive or were you the only one?
2: I remember I was with my
3: father. Did he survive?
2: He survived, but I didn't know. Find out he survived because I was. He stayed in Goose, he stayed in the mud house, and I went to somewhere. My stepmother survived. Once I was the one sister, half sister. that probably one half sister survived. He came to America. I didn't even know where he is. I found it to the Red Cross. He is in America. Really? Yeah. So. Any other, any other questions?
3: I don't have a, a question so much as a comment because I I can't figure out how to form a question. I like you, I Ebner, mean, like how did how did those people who committed such horrible things not know? They had to no know from smells, from looks. But my comment is thank you so much. There's so much to learn from you, David, and I really appreciate you sharing. There are lots of people that don't have your strength to share. So there's lots of people
2: to talk about I wake up in the morning, I'm still here and I'm doing it.
3: That's right. Mm -hmm. But we really need you to share because we really need to learn. So thank Mm -hmm. you so much for sharing.
2: Thank you. Wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. There's no no questions questions. from the audience (laughs) Uh I have some questions. All right, all right. Okay. So, we're kind of living in turbulent times, so this might be appropriate. I've asked this question of uh, many elementary schools. I travel with him to go to places, and we speak in elementary schools. And the questions I ask them, you should have no problem. (laughs) What's the difference between an upstander and a bystander? You're asking
0: us.
1: Yes. Yes. Who wants to volunteer? I didn't realize. You want to volunteer?
0: Sure. Um a bystander is someone that watches. Yes. Um, and they don't interact and they don't do anything to create change or someone I would say upstander is someone who would be an upstanding individual or something like that and they, they are forceful in their creating change
1: and okay. active. Okay, and I think in today's times you see a lot of protests, you see upstanders. They believe things are wrong with the country, what's, whatever's happening. We'll get political, but uh, there's more upstandings going on today than I think ever before. And I just have a poem that I want to read that kind of emphasizes why people have to be upstanders when there's a persecution or hatred or whatever going on. This is a poem that was written by a German pastor. His name was Martin Miemöller. And uh, he was an early supporter of Hitler. And uh, as he saw what was going on in Germany, he became, instead of a bystander, he became more of an upstander. He started to criticize what was going on. Well, he was thrown in jail by the Nazis. He survived the war. And after the war, he had a a lot to think about. He wrote this poem. It's called First They Came. Have any? Have you heard of this poem? Do I need to know? I think it's worthwhile. I'll read it, Okay. First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. So I think uh, it sends a message that uh, there's one group that might be persecuted, there are other groups that might be persecuted. And people have to stand up for those that are persecuted. Excellent message,
3: thank you very much for that. Thank you, thank you very much for raising your